Looking at, looking at Elijah, the type of the higher self, I want to uh, uh, talk about your transcendent, your transcendent self this morning. And I listened to myself, which is a bad thing for me to do. No, it's a good thing. I, I listened to myself last week and I noticed some bad habits that I have that I'm going to try and break. So I'm going to slow down, try to contain my enthusiasm and energy and slow down and try to communicate better, but also, if I go slower, hopefully I can break some of those bad habits that I have that drove me nuts about myself when I was listening to myself. So, First Kings 18, verse 1, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present your... Ugh. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Let's just start there. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now we're going to come back. We're going to flip back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want you to see that Elijah declares to Ahab that he is standing simultaneously in two locations. In his body, he is standing before King Ahab, but he declares that he is standing, present tense, also in the presence of the Lord God who lives. Now, keep that in mind as we go to John chapter 3. And I'm going to re- need to redefine something for you that <clears throat> may be new for you or not. And that is the term born again. <laughs> you hear people talk about being born again Christians. And in our society and culture, what that has come to mean is someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah. Yes? And they pull it from John chapter 3. But let's look at what Jesus is actually saying in John 3. It's a little bit different than that. Verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is Spirit. Now I'm just going to pause or jump ahead, if you will. And I want you to just jump down actually to verse 11. (laughs) Sometimes my sense of humor cracks me up. Sorry. (laughs) I got ahead of myself. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen. And you do not receive our testimony. Who's Jesus talking about? Himself and the mouse in his pocket? (laughs) 
All right. Moving right along. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Now watch this. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. I want you to notice Jesus does the same thing Elijah did with Ahab when he's talking to Nicodemus. He's standing before uh, Nicodemus in the flesh, but he refers to himself as the Son of Man who is in heaven, present tense, so that he experiences himself in both realities at the same time. Now, if you go back, if you have a good Bible... It'll have a footnote next to the word again in verse 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The footnote in there, in your margins, will show you that it actually says from above. Right on. So, unless a person is born from above, they cannot see the kingdom. Then Nicodemus wants to have that explained to him. And Jesus talks about the difference between being born of the flesh and being born of the spirit. And then he brings the two realities together by saying the son of man who standing before the son of man, Adam, Ben Adam, the son of Adam in this earthly body is also in heaven. So the kingdom of God is not something that you go to when you die. It's a state of consciousness that you awaken to. That brings both realities together around yourself. So that then, once you enter the kingdom, you can do the works that Jesus did. And greater works than those shall you do. Was the key to Elijah's ministry. If it wasn't because he stood in the presence of God and man, he had to harmonize or bring those two realities together. In his present moment in order to be able to be a spokesperson who spoke for God. And Jesus says everybody has that opportunity to be born of the Spirit. Now, I want you to think for a minute, what does it mean? (laughs) Okay, sorry, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but we have to redefine terms. Because what we've told people is that you pray a prayer and you're born again. It's probably more accurate you pray a prayer and get pregnant. Because there's a difference between pregnancy and birth. And not everybody who gets pregnant gives birth. (laughs) Because here's the difference. When you're pregnant, you're carrying a life that no one can see. When that life is born, it manifests in the earth. So you are not born again until that which is in the heavenly part of you so transforms your consciousness that it begins to manifest itself 
in the way you live, walk, talk, think, and operate. Otherwise, it's not a birth. It's a hidden life. I'm not twisting the scriptures. Now, with that in mind, come with me. We're going to look at um, Jacob, and then we're going to go back to Ephesians. But I want to show you this from the life of Jacob. Come with me to Genesis 28. And I've done this before, but it's worth looking at again. Genesis 28, verse 10. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Verse 11 of Genesis 28. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. It's interesting also that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to the heavens. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac and the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad from the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's telling Jacob what he also told Abram, that in his seed, all the families would be blessed, right? Then watch this. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And then he rose early and he, he took the stone, he poured oil on it, and he blessed it and sanctified it as a place of worship. Right? Now, <clears throat> let me just back up. So, if you were Jewish and not Christian, not Western Christian, and you were reading the texts, You would understand that there are levels of interpretation. We've talked about this before, right? There's at least four levels of interpretation. And the rabbis talk about what they call the 70 faces of God, meaning it's multifaceted in terms of how you can understand any one of the scriptures. But on the most basic level, the literal historical interpretation is the surface level interpretation. And the rabbis say this, it is a childish form of interpretation and as long as you stay stuck in the literal understanding of the scripture you remain spiritually immature at the deepest level is what's called the sod in hebrew it's the word for secret when it says the secret of the lord is with those that fear him the sod or the english term for it would be the esoteric interpretation And what that means then is as you're looking at the scriptures, there is a natural interpretation and there is a spiritual interpretation. And when you begin to go grow spiritually and go deeper, you begin to understand the spiritual interpretation, which then opens up for you a road map for your own spiritual progression and growth. Are you breathing? I'm not making this up. This is thousands of years of tradition. 
Jewish tradition, and it's a Jewish book. Jesus was a Jew. Everybody who wrote it was Jewish. Right? So maybe they knew a little bit more about it than we do. Just saying. The most devout stream in Judaism today is the Hasidic tradition. The Hasidic rabbis say this about Rebecca. Now watch this. So Rebecca is the mother of whom? Jacob and Esau. Now watch this. Isaac, who is the seed of Abraham. Now we're not looking at the natural, we're looking at the spiritual. Isaac, who is the seed of Abraham, who I, I just can't help but do this because it's so much fun. When, when Abram sacrifices Isaac, he gets ready to sacrifice Isaac and plunge the knife into him. And it says, he lifted up his eyes. Now, every time you see in scripture the phrase, he lifted up his eyes, it doesn't mean he just looked up. <laughs> and here's how you know this. Because Isaac is looking for the sacrifice. He, he says, uh, Dad, I see the wood. I see the knife. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? Never mind, son, let me tie you up. I mean... The dude is looking for the sacrifice, right? I mean, you get it. He's not just like. And so Abram gets ready to plunge a knife in him and it says he lifted up his eyes and he saw a ram caught in a thicket. Anytime you see the phrase he lifted up his eyes, it means he's looking in a different dimension. It's what Jesus meant when he said, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It's being able to see into an unseen realm, which means a portal between heaven and earth opened up and an exchange was made between Isaac and the ram because what we have failed to see is even though Abraham did not kill Isaac he does not come down the mountain with Isaac go back and read the text it said Abraham came back to them Where did Isaac go? Well, if the ram took Isaac's place, where do you suppose Isaac went? Thank you. Now, we say Jehovah Jireh means the Lord my provider because it works for us. And we can do songs and all that stuff. But that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. It means the God who sees. The God who sees. Now here's why this is significant. Because Isaac does not return in the story until he has a bride named Rebecca. And when he has a bride, guess where it says Isaac came from? The the <laughs> he came from the well of the eye of God. So a portal opens up <laughs> From the God who sees, when Abram sees into the spirit realm, he exchanges Isaac for that, and so he ascends into heaven and remains there until he comes from that place in order to marry his bride, Rebecca, which makes him a type of Christ. Because Jesus was sacrificed, ascended, coming back for a bride. 
But it also makes the children born in Rebekah significant. Because now there's an impregnation of a heavenly seed. You got it? Now, Rebecca's name means to join together. And the Hasidic, now back to our friends, the Hasidic Jews, what, what they would say is it's two beasts being joined together. That's what she represents. And inside of her, she has twins, which are generally what? Generally, they don't have to be identical, but they're related, right? They, they start out together, right? Now, watch this. You have Esau, who is red and hairy and a man of the earth, who represents the earthly, the natural, or the Adamic. Because the word Adam also means red. Got it? You have Jacob, whose name means the supplanter, who represents the heavenly seed, planted into the earthly, But these two natures are fighting with each other, even in the womb. The first one to come out is Adam, or the earthly, or the natural one, or Esau. But on his heels is that which is born again, that which is born from above. And Jacob's name does not mean deceiver or liar. There's a lot of preachers going to have to apologize to Jacob when they get to heaven. The name means one who supplants. One who supplants. So the heavenly seed is grabbing onto the heel of the earthly seed and wrestling with it in order to supplant it. Not to get rid of it, to supplant it. The younger, the older shall serve the... Younger, not to kill it, not to get rid of it, to bring it into service through supplanting. Got it? So here, back to our friends, the Hasidic Jews, they say you have an animal soul called the nefesh in the Hebrew, and you have a spiritual soul or a God soul, which they call the nesema. So you have a higher soul and a lower soul, and Rebecca is the principle which joins the two together. I am Elijah, who's standing before Ahab, animal soul, standing before God, spiritual soul, aligned and bound together in Rebecca. Which is why it is Rebecca who makes sure that Jacob gets the blessing. Oh, that'll preach. (sighs) Because, and the only reason he could get it is because dad is too blind to know the difference. (laughs) But in order for Jacob to receive the blessing, he has to put on Esau. A lot of people want to escape from their animal soul. They want to escape from their earthly life. They want to escape from the problems of the world and they want to just spend time in the heavens. Just stop there. Let's get out of body. Let's get into the heavens. Let's have mystical experiences. Let's have worship. Let's have my God intercessory prayer till the sun rises. Right? They don't want to put on Esau. Esau. 
But in order to get Father's blessing, Rebecca has to bring the two together to bring you into the Father's presence so that you can receive the blessing. Which is why when Esau comes apart from Jacob, he can't be blessed. Because your earthly nature cannot receive the fullness of the blessing of God unless it is your spiritual heavenly nature that is actually in charge. So why the dream? The setting for the dream is Jacob is running from Esau. The the two are divided and Jacob is running from Esau. I don't want any part of that earthly thing. See the the parallel? He lays down his head. Now, here's what he says. There's two things in our translations that are unfortunate. When it says a ladder was set up on heaven, and I had a rabbi tell me this, who speaks Hebrew. Actually, what it says is the ladder came out of Jacob. It wasn't like... It came out of Jacob. And its top reached to where? The heavens. And the angels of God are doing what? Ascending and descending. Now here's what the rabbinic tradition dating back to the time of Christ says. The reason the angels were ascending and descending is because when they would go into heaven and they would behold the throne, they would see an image, a face, if you will, on the throne. And when they came back down, they would see another face. And what surprised them was what they were seeing on the earth was also what they saw in the heavens. So in other words, when they would look at the face of the throne, they would see Jacob. Then they would come down and look on the earth and they would see Jacob. They would ascend back up and they would see the face on the throne. They would see Jacob. They would come back down. They would look on the earth. They would see Jacob. Why? Because Jacob represents the heavenly image, the heavenly man, the heavenly seed, the new creation. And Jesus isn't the only one on a throne. (laughs) In heaven, in case you didn't know that. We'll look at that in a minute. But here's the really cool part. When Jacob wakes up, he says this. In your translation, it says, Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. That's not what it says in the Hebrew. There's two eyes. Here's how it actually reads. Surely the Lord was in this place and I. I... Did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I, and I did not know it. In other words, there's two eyes. The lower eye and the higher eye. The eye that is on the throne and the eye that is on the earth. Surely the Lord is in this place and I, I did not know. And the key is I, I did not know, which is why he says it when he wakes up. It's a spiritual principle. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night so Jesus can awaken him, so he can awaken into the kingdom, he can awaken into the new birth, he can awaken into his higher self. Jacob has a dream at night, and when he awakes, he awakes not only to the presence of God and to the presence of the Lord, but to the fact that he has a higher self, a transcendent self, another eye that he does not know yet. He's awakening into a new consciousness of who he actually is. 
Which is why the rabbis will translate it, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I, and I did not know myself. There is a you that you do not know. (laughs) There is a self that you do not know until you become awakened to it. And probably what you don't know and what Jacob failed to realize is that Jacob's ladder comes out of you. (sighs) When... Isaac descends to take a wife. He impregnates her with a heavenly seed. Now you have a picture of a human being who is born from above, who splits into two personalities, one that is earthly and one that is spiritual, and the rest of the journey is for the younger to serve the older. I mean the older, which is the natural seed, to serve the younger, which is the spiritual seed. And, 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 Jacob messes it up because he says, surely the Lord is in this place. But God said, I'll go with you. He wanted to leave him in a place, and that's what we do. We want to leave God in a place. We want to leave God in church. We want to leave God in heaven. We want to leave God wherever we want to leave. We want God anywhere but in us. (laughs) And what Jacob needed to realize was that the ladder didn't set up in Bethel. The ladder set up over Jacob. The angels weren't ascending and descending over Bethel. The angels were ascending and descending over Jacob. And when you and I have been born from above, and when our consciousness awakens to our transcendent self, to the I that is seated upon the throne, and we know how to bring those two into agreement, and we know how to bring those two into alignment, we become the gate of heaven. We become the ladder into the heavenlies. And the angels of God are ascending and descending over our lives. And God goes with us every place that we go. But when we are trapped in a damnic consciousness, we still try to create separation by hiding ourselves in the trees of the garden and leave God over there somewhere so that we can don't have to worry about our lives. We don't have to worry about Him messing with our lives. And we stay stuck in the Adamic mind. And the Adamic mind was this, God must be coming in judgment because now I've entered into judgment and I'm like God, therefore God must be like me. He judged himself as insufficient and covered himself. He judged his wife as the one to blame. He judged the serpent as the one to blame because it's the, and and ultimately it was God who was to blame. And he hid himself and created the sense of separation. And because God gave man that ability, when God comes, he has to say, Adam, where are you? Because now there's a sense of separation that there wasn't before. So he projects onto God his own judgmental thinking and his own judgmental mind. And it happens in churches every place. Every Sunday. Where pastors and preachers have their own prejudices and judgments and predispositions. And they solidify it in their own hearts thinking it's God who says it. And it keeps people stuck eating at the tree of knowledge. It keeps them stuck in death. It keeps them stuck in shame. It keeps them stuck in condemnation. It keeps them stuck in judgmentalism. But it does not produce the new birth because it does not align them with who they are in the heavens. All right. I wasn't going to preach today. Let's go to Ephesians. Let's just walk through Ephesians quickly and we'll be done. And I'll try to give you something practical. <laughs> Ephesians starts with a prayer. Ephesians 1, I'm just going to walk you through it. You can go home and read it. Ephesians 1 starts with a prayer. And Paul says this, 
I pray that you will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Right? Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your mind would be opened. Jesus said what? Unless you're born from above, you cannot what? See. Not when you die and get to heaven right now. So Paul's praying the same thing, that there would come a work inside you that would cause you to see into realms that you haven't seen before. In order that you may know and experience the hope of his calling, there's hope, the glory of his inheritance in you, in the saints, not in heaven, and in one another, there's wealth. And the exceeding greatness of his power, which is at work in, in them that believe. The power that's working in you. So Paul's saying I, that something needs to happen on the inside of you so you can see what you couldn't see before. So you can access a hope you didn't have before. And you can access wealth and glory you didn't know was in you but was there before. And so that the power of God can work in you. In you. And then he says, like the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up and seated him in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named. That, by definition, is transcendent. That, by definition, is transcendent. Above principalities, powers, might, dominion, and every name that is named. Now, what we fail to realize when we get to chapter 2 is that he's still praying. He's still talking about what you need to be able to see. And (laughs) you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. It means we were angry, not God. Just saying. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. There's the new birth. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So in other words, Paul's still praying that you'll see not only the victory and transcendence of Jesus, but also the victory and transcendence of your higher self. The you that is seated in Christ in heavenly places. The you that wanders off from that, because it's places. Everybody say places. Places Places is not singular. Just humor me. Places is not singular. Places is plural. So you are seated in many Places. places. And if it's in Christ, it's just as transcendent. It's above principalities, powers, might, dominion, and every name that is named. It's above death. See, see, you have already overcome death. If you're waiting to die to get there, you're missing the whole point. You have more faith in your death than you do the death of Christ. 
That's what Paul's saying. You've already been resurrected. You've already been raised. You've already been seated. You've already overcome. Now, if that's true, if you're seated in heavenly places, for that you, where is sin? For that you, where is separation from the presence of God? Where is the the condemnation and the guilt? Where is the struggle? Where is the fear? Where is the anxiety or the depression? Where's disease? Where's poverty? Where's death? Where where is any of that stuff? It, It can't exist. Because it's transcended everything. And it's multidimensional because that you is in heavenly places, not just one place. Because you're actually in a realm that transcends time and space. Okay, let me do it for you this way. Salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. How many times did you hear that at an altar call? Give your, open your heart and ask Jesus to come into your life. Problem, saints. Yeah, and that verse is not being written in an evangelistic meeting. <laughs> it's in Revelation in one of the seven letters to the churches. And it's the last church, it's the Laodicean church, which has nothing to do with the end of the age, just because it's the last one in the book. Somebody had to be last. (laughs) So quit. Get off your high horse about the lukewarm church. It's the Laodicean church. Here's what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone opens the door, I'll come in and sup with him, and he with me. Then he says this. To him who overcomes... I will give the power to sit on my throne just as I overcame and sat down on my father's throne. After this, behold, a door standing in heaven and I was in the spirit and I was caught up to see things that were, that are, and that shall be. Who opened the door? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's up to the individual to open the door. It's the door of your own consciousness to your higher self that gets transported into the spirit, into a place that's above all space and all time, that in one moment it is present to you things that were, things that are, and things that will be. And all of that is inside of you because Jacob's ladder comes out of... It's all there. You just have to wake up and realize, surely the Lord is in this place, and I, I did not know. And once I wake up to the and I and can connect with it, guess what? I move into a dimension where I'm seated above, where I'm transcendent above everything, and everything's present to me. That's what Paul's talking about. The whole book... The whole book of Ephesians, he goes on then in chapter 3 and 4 to tell you, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put off Esau, the old man, which is growing corrupt, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Not trying to be righteous, not trying to become holy, already made that way, already seated in heavenly places, already transcendent, already perfected, already called, justified, and glorified, which he says in Romans chapter 9. The problem is your mind. You have no consciousness of that self. You're only connected to that other self. Jesus said it this way. Which of you having a hundred sheep but loses one, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who has a hundred sheep. One wanders off and he goes and pursues the one to do what? To bring it back into the sheepfold. And then he says, for the Son of Man came to seek. Now listen very closely because here's what he says. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Big difference from saying the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Oops. That which was lost, not those. Once again, it's not necessarily an evangelistic. See, we put this evangelistic paradigm on everything because that's the only thing we know is you got to get saved and get to heaven. So that must be what Jesus is talking about. What if what he's saying is 99 of you are in heavenly places safe in the sheepfold? 1% of your consciousness has wandered off into some something. And you're stuck in that 1% of your own consciousness. So therefore, the ministry of Jesus is to go after that lost part of your consciousness in order to awaken it, Ephesians 5, and give it light so that it can be brought back into the sheepfold where it's reunited, where it's joined. Rebecca's name means to join. Where it's Rebecca'd. It's the whole thing he's talking about you. What if this whole thing that you think is reality is only 1% of what's real? What if this whole thing that you're trapped in is only 1% of what you're capable of and able to do and accomplish? What if the other 99% of you is completely transcendent, completely redeemed, completely glorified, completely justified, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but you can't experience it because in your consciousness you've wandered off? Does that make sense to you? So then you need the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Why? So that your eyes can be reconnected. So that like the angels, you can see yourself in your earthly state and in your heavenly state. So that you're ascending and descending. So that like Elijah, you can stand before the Ahabs of your own life and say, before the Lord God, before whom I stand. 
And like Jesus, you can speak to the Nicodemuses in your life and say, the one who's talking to you is the son of man on earth who is also simultaneously in heaven. And you have the consciousness opened up to bring the two together and into harmony and into manifestation. Powerful, huh? How do I do that, Aaron? How do I do that? You're already doing it right now. Because if you don't know this, you're totally asleep to it. You and I, if we want to do this, we have to begin to accept by faith the reality of what's being said about us. And say, okay, when I feel lonely, when I feel anxious, when I feel depressed, when I feel like God's nowhere, when I feel judged, when I feel victimized, when I feel like I'm stuck in the same old repetitive patterns, I simply have to acknowledge I'm stuck in a level of consciousness where the rest of me is hidden from me. So that when you go to pray, Paul says this, you put off the old you. So when you go to pray, when you sit down, meditate, quit thinking about how to pray the magic formula prayer. I have to say, in the name of Jesus. Father, I come before you in Jesus' name, and I just thank you, Lord God, that you're here, Lord God, and I just thank you right now, Father God. I mean, why do we say his name so much? Because we're a lost sheep grasping for something. It's not real to us. So it's Father God, Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, Father. I mean, could you imagine if I talked to Julie? Julie, it's good to hear see you today. Julie, Mao, Julie, it's just so great, Julie, that you're here, Julie. And I thank you, Julie, that you're going to be, uh, you, you drove the car home. You know, you drove us here, Julie. Thank you, Julie. So you're going to drive me home, Julie. I, I, I wish I was making this up, but that's how 90% of the church world talks to God. Or have I been in a different Pentecostal church? It'd be funny if it wasn't so pathetic. That is not a person who has any consciousness or awareness that they're seated in heavenly places in Christ. None. So maybe shut up. (laughs) I think that's one of those bad habits I'm trying to break, but... Stop, get quiet, and visualize, literally visualize, pushing the old you aside. The you that's depressed, the you that's messed up, the you that goes to counseling. The you that takes medication, the you that's overwhelmed, the you that's struggling in a relationship, the you that's struggling on the job, the you that's struggling with sin, visually understand it's like a mask or a costume. You're Jacob and Esau's clothes. So take off Esau. Set him aside. In your mind. And then open yourself up and say, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
to see not only your victory, but to see mine. To see not only your glory, but to see my own. To see not only your power, but the power that's in me. To be above that which was, that which is, and that which is to come. And then I can work on myself in that place. Let me tell you the story, and I'll finish. I told this the first service last week. So there's an Israeli doctor in 2006. Israeli doctor in 2006. Don't give it away if you heard the story. Israeli doctor in 2006 who did a study, wanted to study the effects of prayer on people who were sick. So he chose a hospital, and he found 3,170-some patients. And he divided them into two groups, and all of them, to, to have controls, all of them had to have the same condition. So all of them had sepsis, which is an infection, right? Divided them into two control groups. Maybe One control group was the prayed-for group and had intercessory prayer people pray for them, this group. The other group was the control group, and they got no prayer. How would you like to be selected to be in that group? <laughs> All the atheists over here, no. They, they received no prayer. And then wanted to measure the results. Now here's, and so he looked for three things. The number of people who died versus lived. The quality of their recovery. And the speed of their recovery. So did they get more better? Sorry, Mom. I can hear correcting my grammar in my head. <laughs> Did they get more better? You get the point, right? Did more of them live? And how quickly did they get better? Did prayer affect any of those things? And then this group over here, and here's what they found out. When it came to the quality of improvement and the speed of improvement, there was such a significant change in the prayed-for group that it was beyond the realm of uh, random statistical Probability. You understand what I'm saying? The statistics were too high for it just to have been random. There was definitely a cause. So prayer changed the outcome scientifically and caused this group to get better sooner and more better <laughs> than this group over here. There was no statistical improvement in terms of who died. So prayer, in this case, can make you better faster unless it's your time. It's kind of the conclusion of the study. Make sense? But now, this was 2006. Let me ask you this question. How did the scientists who put this together find a hospital with 3,100 patients who were septic? In 2006, I think you would have heard about it. I mean, that's like an epidemic of some sort, right? Because here's what he did. He took a... He went back to 19... I, I can't remember the exact dates because I don't have my notes in front of me. He took the patients from 1990 to 1996. 
See, you thought you were praying for a patient who was currently suffering. You were praying for a patient where the outcome was already determined. And yet, it was statistically impossible for it just to be random, which means that your prayers 10 years later affected the outcome of something that had happened 10 years previously. It's one of those time travel movie type things. Why is that important? Because your higher self exists in the realm where there are things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be all come together in a harmony and can be worked on. Which means that you can change your past. Thank you, Mike. You're getting it. When you connect with that higher self, when you connect with that other 99, when you sacrifice the one for the 99... In that sense. In other words, I'm giving up, laying aside this consciousness that I've lived in, and I'm entering this realm of ultimate possibility. I'm entering this realm of ultimate potential, and I'm understanding that I'm a Tishbite. Remember the word Tishbite means one who dwells and who is seated upon a throne. Now I can affect everything that was, everything that is, and everything that will be in a place of total transcendence, and I can begin to imagine something that has never been before. I can begin to imagine an outcome that's never been before. I can begin to imagine a me that's never been before. And that, my beloved brothers and sisters, is prayer. Because until you can see it, nothing is going to happen. I need to quit. Most people pray with the vision, with the problem in their subconscious vision. And then they wonder why things get worse. You're just flapping words, man. Just like Jesus said, you know, you're like the heathen that pray because they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Prayer begins with the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might see something. So until in your mind's eye, until in the eyes of your heart, you can see a new reality. You can see a new future. You can see a new you. Nothing is going to change because until you can see it, you can't have it. Jacob saw it and left it at Bethel. Instead of realizing he was it. <laughs> so that, Which is why he had so many struggles. Which is why he had to wrestle with the angel for something that he already possessed. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. God already told him he was blessed. We had a whole group of Christians wrestling for what they already have. If he would have been able to connect with the end eye that he did not know and embody, let that eye embody this body. Then like Elijah, he could have dictated the weather. Like Jesus, he could have done signs and wonders so that people recognize no one can do the things that you do unless they be sent from God.
put off that old way of thinking. Put on the new. Then you don't have to wrestle with God to get him to bless you. <laughs> this dumb stuff. We do. Just hold on to God. Just hold on to God till he blesses you. Like you're more righteous than God. You're more merciful than God. Oh God, we pray for Pueblo. Oh God, have mercy. Have mercy, oh God. Have mercy upon the sinners, oh God. Oh, we repent for the sins of, of, of our city, oh God. Oh God. Shandai, 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 shandai. Yeah. And then we, Satan, we bind you in the name of Jesus. And then he got loosed before the next prayer meeting because you're at the next prayer meeting binding him again. I mean, do we even think about what we're doing? Apparently your bondage wasn't too good because you had to tie him up again when you got together in the next time. I mean, will we please just stop the nonsense and read our Bibles? All right, all right, all right. That's another one of those bad habits I'm trying to break. Let's stand up. <clears throat> we did some crazy stuff, man. Worship. Get the sword of the Spirit out. We got a sword. We're breaking bondages. We're intercessors. You know, they they were doing that in Nigeria and they started cutting people's arms off (laughs) because swinging their swords too wildly. (laughs) I'm sorry if I'm being offensive. I, I am making fun of myself, just so you know. And tell me you do. So it's all good. Let's just lift our hands. Let's just open your open your heart. God does not come. Your consciousness becomes awake. Open your heart. Holy Spirit, we honor you and bless you. And we thank you for the ministry that you have to us. To guide us and lead us into all truth. And Jesus said, in that day you will know that I am in my Father. And you are in me, and I'm in you. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you for that ministry in our hearts and minds, and we receive it right now by faith, where you will awaken by the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, our consciousness. I pray for every person in the sound of my voice, for the work of the Holy Spirit to awaken your consciousness to the transcendent victory of Jesus Christ, And equally as important, your own victory in him. Father, shine the light upon the other 99 and bring the lost sheep home. And we give you thanks. If you need healing this morning, just heard the Lord say, to me before the service, teach and and heal the sick. So if you're sick in your body, if you need healing this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer if you want to. Um, And again, it's not something we're giving to you. We're just helping you activate something that already exists inside you, a future healthy you, the things that were, the things that are, the things that will be, a future healthy you. Does that make sense? To just connect with that by faith. So... If you would like that this morning, um, then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to close quickly and uh, give you an opportunity to come forward, and we'll have myself and some other people here to pray for you. 
and agree with you in prayer. So if that's you, if you have pain in your body, sickness in your body, uh, I believe the Lord wants to touch you this morning. Um, Otherwise, have a great day. Don't get too bummed out if the Broncos lose. Oh, and we have communion. Ah, thank you. I forgot. It's the first Sunday of the month. So I guess we should do communion. So that'll be good. So we can do the healing with that. So there's, there's, the Bible even speaks of that, right? So our approaching communion is that, um, it's really kind of silly, like, that you're not worthy to come take it. That's not our approach. Like, in some places it is. But like, it's supposedly the broken body and the blood shed for the remission of sins. So it's such a contradiction to tell people that they're not worthy. And that's an old thing, leftover thing from Catholicism that was trying to control you. Um, when it, when it, when it, it says in the Bible, if you take it unworthily, <laughs> which means you, you feel unworthy when you take it. <laughs> if you take it unworthily, which means you feel unworthy when you take it. And then we tell people, oh, you got sin in your life, you're upset with somebody, don't come. Don't come to the blood shed for your remission. Get right first. It makes no sense. I'm sorry, I just, it just, we do so many stupid things and put people in bondage. Ugh, I'm trying to break the habit, I really, really am. I don't want to be critical, but just, all right, anyway. So let's pray over the elements and then we'll invite you to come and receive. My point is anyone can partake regardless of your spiritual condition. And... If you do it worthily, then you're connecting with that higher self. Does that make sense? You're, you're not staying stuck in the 1%. You're connecting with the 99. Make sense? All right. So, Lord, thank you for the elements that we partake of today, that we remember the night that you were betrayed. And you took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And you took the cup and you gave thanks and you blessed it. And you said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. And I pray that you'll infuse the bread and the drink with grace and power so that as we internalize you, we're connecting with the Christ that is in us. And let it serve to our own awakening. In Jesus' name. Amen.